Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's take a look at some bizarre ghost encounters. Since you guys liked the bizarre California UFO stories oh so much, I figured, well, I got some bizarre ghost stories, some bizarre ghost encounters. What makes them bizarre? You'll just have to wait and see. But first, as always, we have shout-outs. That's right, shout-outs go out to... Aaron, Aaron, ah, monsters, Lauren and David, Alicia, Amber, Andrew, April, Seth, Audra, Austin, Autumn, Bill, Bob, Brandon, Carolyn, Carrie, Christine, Chuck, Cindy, Cole, Dan, Daniel, Dill, Donald, Dorian, Elliot, Erica, Aaron, Ezram, hey, Ezram, Harvey, Heidi, I, Isabel, J. Mark, Jade, Jaime, Jason, Jeff, Jeff B., Jeff T., Jennifer, Jared, Jerry, Jim, Joe, Joanne, John, Joshua, Juliana, Carrie, Kelly, Kelsey, Kimberly, Kira, Lash, Laura, Laura Rutho, Lauren Mangano, Lauren McCune, hey, howdy, hi, Lawrence, Leo, Lindsay, M. Caballero, Martin, Matt, Megan, Mickey, hey, Mickey, Milldog, nope, I think your name is Eric, Milo, Nanashi, Nick, Pablo, Paula, Pedestrian Wolf, Rachel Reed, Robin, Rosa, Russell, Sarah, Sean Bishop, Shelly, Sarah, oh, there's another Sarah, Sarah B and Sarah L, Sean Bishop, Shelly, Sonny, Suzanne, Todd Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Tanya, Trey, and Veronica. Oh, and Will. Oh my God, I almost forgot you, Will. Sorry, I didn't mean to forget you, Will. You are there. You are the best. All righty. Be like the cool kids, head on over to patreon.com slash paranormalalmanac for all your paranormal almanac needs. Unless you're talking about merch, in which case you want to go to paranormalalmanac.storeenvy.com for new merch. Check it out. Buy one, buy two, buy them all. Buy them for friends, buy them for enemies, buy them for that alien or that demon or that uh, Sasquatch, whatever's in your life that's paranormal, buy one for them as well. Alrighty, let's head on over. To paranormal news. Paranormal news. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paranormal News. And the first story in Paramore. Ha <laughs> ha. Right off the bat, and the first story in paranormal news, they came from outer Finland, the town where everyone saw UFOs in pictures. The photographer Maria Lax comes from a northern Finnish town where UFO sightings were common, so she set about looking for answers. Her book, Some Kind of Heavenly Fire, is out now. She says, I'm from a small town in northern Finland, surrounded by a vast, sparsely populated wilderness. Most passed through the town without ever even knowing it was a hot spot for UFO sightings in the 1960s. It wasn't until I read my grandfather's book about the UFO sightings in the area 
that I learned of the incredible stories of a supernatural events, bravery, and struggle against hardship in what is largely a barren land. Already suffering from dementia, he was unable to answer any of the questions I had, so I went looking for the answers. I turned to the people who had seen the mysterious lights, to newspaper archives, and my family's photo albums from that era. All the locations in the book are places I've been that I've been going to since my childhood. By doing the research, talking to the people, reading my grandfather's book, searching through family albums, and walking around the familiar landscapes, I got to know my past and my family history much better. So it's actually a really a cool book on like amazing photographs. She's got a great eye, but then she also tells some colorful UFO stories with these photos. It is really neat to look at. Like I. I can't, rec can't recommend it enough. She says, There's a larger story running alongside the UFO sightings. Rapid industrialization in the 60s and 70s meant that people couldn't support their families by farming, and we were forced to move to cities in search of jobs. So it's just a story about Finland, about this small little town getting smaller and smaller, and about the UFOs that were spotted all around it during that time. Really neat book. Once again, oh, I clicked off it. Once again, the name of the book is... Heaven, or her book is called Some Kind of Heavenly Fires by Maria Lax. So take a look at it if you like. I think it's really cool. I'm not getting paid to say that. Okay, up next in paranormal news. Was it a UFO? Time-lapse video at Outer Banks find mysterious red trails in the sky. A time-lapse video recorded over the Outer Banks has ignited a new round of debate, a new round of debate over the possibility of UFOs frequenting North Carolina's barrier islands. Now, for those regular listeners, you'll know that that's not the first time that I've mentioned North Carolina or the barrier islands in connection to UFOs. For some reason, it does seem to be a hotspot. Photographer Wes Snyder posted the two-minute video on YouTube February 18th, noting it was created from a three- to four-hour time-lapse of the Milky Way, as seen from Frisco's famous flying saucer-shaped Futura home. If you guys don't know what a Futura home is, they are the coolest homes ever. They were made in, I think, the 50s or 60s. they He's not wrong. They look like a UFO. They're freaking awesome. But he says, I seem to have captured some strange, unidentified red trails. Can you tell me what these are? They appeared for about 30 minutes during my three-hour time lapse. He told the news on Monday he has yet to get a sound explanation or even a good guess. The video was created entirely from photos taken September 23rd, which took him months to compile into a video. I think it's someone illegally flying a drone at night, but it's anyone's guess, he said. It wasn't a plane. In It moved in way too of a chaotic pattern. Wow. That is a horrible sentence. It wasn't a plane. It moved in way too... I get what he's trying to say. He's trying to say it moved in way too chaotic of a pattern to be a plane. The video, which has gotten thousands of views, featured on the blah, 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 blah. Doesn't matter. See those little squiggly lines running through this time lapse? Planes don't fly like that. Alrighty, so I want to see this video. Okay, let's take a look at this video ourselves. It's a very cool Futura home. Stuffed animal aliens in the inside. Oh, yeah. I could see that being a drone. I don't need the music, sorry. I could see that totally being a drone. I really could. He's right. It is too chaotic of a pattern. I don't know what it is, to be honest with you. I'll post this on Facebook. Yes, I swear I won't forget to post this on Facebook. I know I forgot to post something from my last episode. I need to find it and post it on there for you as well. But yeah, I'll post this. See what you guys think. See if you think it's a UFO or probably just a drone. Either way, very neat. You tell me what you think. Alrighty, up next, Bigfoot, Conne nope. Bigfoot Convention coming to Boise. 
It's called Squatch Con Boise, and it's a Bigfoot-themed gathering and convention. It's coming to Death Proof Coffee Event Center on Fairview, on Fairview, on June 13th. So if you guys are in Boise, Idaho on June 13th, or you're going to want to go to Boise, Idaho for June 13th, there's Squatch Con Boise. And I would love to do an episode from Squatch Con Boise. So uh, if you're listening, Squatch Con Boise, if you want to fly me out, I will gladly do an episode live from your convention. During the convention, you'll be able to swap Bigfoot stories, buy Bigfoot-themed merchandise, I have some of that, and post about your Bigfoot encounters on the reader boards for others to read later. The event will also include a map of Bigfoot sightings made in the gem state and a full-size Bigfoot for photo ops. Tickets are just $6 per person. Come on, that's a great freaking deal. But kids 12 and under are free. They go on to say, I'm not exactly convinced that Bigfoot does exist, but I have been to plenty of nerd conventions in the past. Hey, you know, lay off on the nerd part of it. And I love the con atmosphere because you go into these events knowing you're surrounded by like-minded individuals who are ready and willing to talk to some to talk about something you feel passionately about. So if you're into Bigfoot stories, I say this will probably be well worth your time. I gotta agree. Again, if you're in Boise on the at the Death Proof Coffee Event Center on Fairview, June 13th, tickets are six bucks per person, kids 12 and under are free. I'm assuming Sasquatches get in free, because that'd be kind of shitty if you charge them to get into their own convention. Oh, and I got a text. Hold on. Okay, up next in paranormal news, woman faces blindness after getting eyeballs dyed black. Yes, a Polish woman named Aleksandra Sadowski has gone blind in one eye after getting her eyeballs dyed black by a tattoo artist in Warsaw. The 25-year-old sought to emulate the look of the rapper Popek, Popek, don't care, but the tattoo artist made mistakes in the process using ink for the skin rather than the eye. That sucks. She has undergone medical treatment to try and save her vision in the second eye, and now the tattoo artist is facing prison time for the botched procedure. So yeah, they have a video with her on there. She looks like a black-eyed kid, and that's creepy, but she also looks like a black-eyed kid, and that's creepy. So... I'm sorry you're going blind, but I'm not sorry that you decided to dye your eyes, tattoo your eyes black. That sucks. Quick, we're moving on to the next one. Residents of haunted Michigan town said it was like living in hell. Documentary filmmaker Steve Shippey heads to old farming village Merrill, population 735. I've never even heard of Merrill, and I'm from Michigan, to explore the sinister spirits that have reportedly been, that have been reportedly torturing residents since the 1970s. During the premiere episode of the new series, Haunting in the Heartland, on the Travel Channel, one family reveals to Shippy that they were forced to leave their house in the summer of 1974. They had suffered through six months of unexplained banging, even the FBI and a seismologist couldn't determine its cause, and several spontaneous fires. Meanwhile, a mile away, other families reported uh, to Shippy that billed as a paranormal investigator that they are currently being tormented by an apparition targeting a young girl in their home. And for years, they've been dealing with inexplicable occurrences, cold spots, loud banging, cut electricity, shadowy figures, scratch marks and rooms suddenly filling with smoke. Living in Merrill seemed like a dream at first. Eventually, that dream turned into a nightmare. It was like living in hell. Alrighty, we got so much paranormal news, I'm gonna skip ahead to the next story on here. Stop the search. Oh, come on. I'm not using an ad blocker. You suck. Stop the search. The Loch Ness Monster has been found. Uh, Kurt here. No, it hasn't, but I'm gonna read you the story anyway. 
After decades of searching, the Inverness Courier can confirm that the Loch Ness Monster is virtually real. She is hovering about near the water right now. This new sighting is something of an Easter treat for tech fans. The Pin Man icon on Google Maps has changed to Nessie. If that's all a bit confusing, here's what you gotta do. You go to Google Maps. When the user clicks onto the street view, they can pick a Pin Man, which is an icon that can be dragged over the area of the world, and photographs from, the, from around the area become visible. When you choose the Pin Man icon over Loch Ness, a Nessie character becomes available and can be dragged around the area. Yep, that's about it. That's for the story. It is very cute. Go on to Google Maps, go to Loch Ness, click your Pin Man, boom, you got a Nessie. Alrighty, moving on. We got so much stuff to talk about. Up next in Paranormal News, Grassman, Mothman, and Ohio's other mythical creatures are on display at the Rutherford B. Hayes Museum. The new exhibit, Ohio and Unnatural History, at the Rutherford B. Hayes Presidential Library and Museum in Fremont, Ohio, profiles nearly a dozen mythical creatures, eh, maybe not mythical, that have captured the imaginations of locals. Some are universal. The Grassman is Ohio's version of Bigfoot, a cryptid that, ah, uh, we know what Bigfoot is. Others, like the amphibian humanoid called the Loveland Frog, are unique to Ohio's history. Though Mothman is usually associated with West Virginia, the seven-foot-tall winged menace has made enough alleged appearances in neighboring Ohio to earn a place in the museum as well. The exhibit is as accurate and informative as one on legendary creatures can be. So they've got artwork. They got really cool artwork, actually. Um, this guy basically photoshopped real creatures, like real things like frogs and moths, into the Frogman and the Mothman, the Loveland Frog and the Mothman. It's really neat to look at. It's very kind of cool. Again, if you're in the area, uh, Ohio, an unnatural history is open through Halloween and uh, admission to the museum is $13 for the public and free for Hayes presidential members. So again, if you're in the area, it seems like it's well worth the money. Check it on out. And finally, in paranormal news, something I do not believe at all, but... I leave it up to you. NASA snaps photos of UFO 10 times bigger than the Earth near the sun. A UFO expert claimed that a photo taken by one of NASA's satellites shows a massive UFO hovering near the sun. The expert estimated that the UFO could be 10 times bigger than the Earth itself. So the image of the sun was taken by the Solar and Heliospheric Observatory, SOHO, a satellite designed to monitor and study solar activities. It was developed through a joint project by NASA and the European Space Agencies. But, according to Scott Waring, one of the latest images features a strange object flying over the sun. The object in the SOHO photos did not have a circular shape. Instead, it looks like two trapezoid-like objects placed on top of one another. He speculates that the object was most likely a spaceship that was built by an advanced race of alien beings that have been developing technological advancements for billions of years. Eh, all right, settle down there. All righty, with that said, let's watch the video. Okay. ...orbit today in NASA SOHO photographs. Let's take a closer look at this. Let's take a closer look at this. Nope, 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 you don't get your theme song. Nope, nope, nope. All righty, so there is a green... Image of the sun, definitely real. And then there is something outside of it, I guess. Okay. Um, I mean, I can't, uh, I can't deny it. There is something in the photo. It's outside of it. I don't know how he could say that it's 10 times bigger than the Earth or it's two trapezoids or anything like that. Because you really got to zoom in to see it. And I mean, really zoom in to see it. 
Um, he's trying to say that they're trying to block it out. You can't really see it, but yeah. All right. There's something there. Again, I'll throw it up on the Facebook page. You guys tell me what you think. Um, I don't, this guy seems like he's very, very into this. I don't want to call him a fake or a tinfoil hat weirdo or anything, but he does say about 15 years ago, I read an article in the news that was about two Russian scientists that recorded UFOs flying around the sun. These UFOs, they said, were often as big as our moon and made hard right angle changes of direction. They would also decrease and increase speed for no apparent reason. They said they believed the UFOs were gathering a certain rare particle created by the sun. The story soon disappeared, and so did the scientists. Bump, bump, bump. Aside from mining the giant star for rare particles, another theory suggests that the sun is actually hollow and houses an entire alien solar system. Followers of this theory believe that those residing in the sun can enter and exit the massive star through an opening on its surface. Alrighty, I'm gonna need some facts on that one, but I seriously doubt there are any. Okay, with that, I've got upcoming events. First one is the Haunted Bazaar. Uh, let me give you that information. Give me one second to pull that up. Okay, so I do have a couple of events coming up. One I can talk about right now, one that I don't think I can. I'm going to check my email. If it says I can, I will. If not, you're going to have to wait till a future episode. But the first one is the Haunted Souls Bazaar. That's Saturday, May 2nd from noon to 8 p.m. at 3800 Homer Street in Los Angeles. Tickets can be purchased on eventbrite.com. Should be very cool. I'm going to be there. You should be there. We should all be there. Let's be there together. So they say, we cordially provoke, provoke your lure to the Haunted Souls Bazaar, a mystic outing held at the Enchanted Heritage Square Museum on one of Los Angeles' historical landmarks. We'll have vendors, food trucks, psychics, spirit photography by Christina Grimm, photo ops, and guided tours. This is a free entry event, VIP available. Packages will include one hour early entry, plus other items. Part of the VIP proceeds will be donated to the Heritage Square Museum, which is awesome, for the Gershoni, Gershoni Library Project. No idea how to say that. Gershoni. Sure, why not? Anyhow, the Haunted Souls Bazaar. Saturday, May 2nd, noon to 8. Come out and see me. I'll be there. I'll have a booth. It'll be great. We'll have some fun. And it seems like there's a lot of cool things that are going to be happening there. So please, please, please come out and see me. Alrighty, let me see if I can talk about the second one. Just one sec while I pull that up. Okay, I cannot talk about the uh, the next event just yet, but trust me, there's an event coming up. It's coming up very soon. There might be a special guest at the event that you guys are listening to right now. And that that guest is either me or Stitch. I mean, it's up to you. I wish it was Stitch, to be honest with you. I'd, I'd, I think I'd get a bigger turnout with just Stitch. But anyhow, I'll talk about that one when I can. And until then... Wow, that was a crazy kid screaming out there. Until then, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Paranormal Almanac. Okay, Stitch and I are back. Stitch is in my lap, which means it's go time for this week's episode. In case you forgot, I know there was a ton of paranormal news. So in case you forgot what this episode is about, it is Bizarre Ghost Encounters. I love odd ghost stories. Not the typical, I felt a cold breeze and I heard a disembodied voice of some old-timey person. Next thing I know, I saw an orb on the stairs. No. No, I say. I want the what 
the WTF moments. I'm trying not to swear. I want the WTF moments of ghost encounters. Ghosts that make you go, hmm, if you will. Like these. Because up first is a bizarre one, hence the name, about good old Benjamin Franklin. Now, there are many reports of his ghost being seen near the Library of the American Philosophical Society in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Nothing bizarre yet, but some reports say that the statue of Benjamin Franklin in front of the society comes to life and dances in the streets. Boom! Bizarre! Lots to talk about, so let's keep on moving. The next one is about the ghost of James L. Chafin who in 1921, he died. Now, let me just say, the ghost of James L. Chafin did not die in 1921, but James L. Chafin himself died in 1921. He, now, he left behind a wife and four sons. The only will they could find left everything to his third son, Marshall. But Marshall had just died too. So, Marshall's widow inherited everything. And she was a bitch. Now, since the will didn't mention anyone else in the family, she said, yep, you're gone. And she kicked them all to the curb. But four years later, 1925, James's second son, James Pinckney Chafin, filed a lawsuit challenging the will. And that's because James Jr. claimed he saw his dead dad in a series of dreams and that the dad was always seen in the dream wearing his old overcoat. Now, he even told his son that a new will could be found in the inside pocket of that said overcoat, that old overcoat. So it wasn't so much that he just saw his dad wearing an old overcoat in the dream. His dad actually went, hey, uh, dumbass, I've got a new will. It's in the pocket. Of your Find the overcoat. Look in the inside pocket. You'll get the will. Come on, buddy. So... Junior, finally catching on, he gets the old coat, and sure enough, inside the coat was something, because a new lining had been put in the coat, and it covered up the old inside pocket. So, a little snip, snip, and bam, there's a note in the old inside pocket that National Treasure-like said, read the 27th chapter of Genesis in my daddy's old Bible. So, Junior finds the old Bible and bam, 27th chapter of Genesis. I don't even know if there is a 27th chapter of Genesis, but apparently there is because there's the will. It had been written by James Sr. in 1919. Now, James Sr. now wanted his estate to be divided equally amongst his four children. And get this, the court went, yeah, all right, checks out. They ruled in favor of the new will. And they kicked the brother's widow to the curb. Ghost dad style. See? That's bizarre. That's not the usual one. I still don't see why he didn't just put the will in the inside pocket. Why he had to do this whole national treasure hunt of like Da Vinci Code to find the will kind of crap. But nonetheless, it seemed to work. Alrighty. Let me just say this about this next one. There is no way to verify this. But... I wanted to share it anyway, so grain of salt time it is. It says, Hello, my neighbor Diane and I had a playful poltergeist for years, and we called it Billy. I'd come home and find something put in a weird place, like milk in the cupboard, toilet paper in the fridge, laundry detergent in the bathtub. 
Now, Diane once called to ask if Billy had been around because she couldn't find a gallon of milk. We finally found it outside on her back steps and sugar, darn sugar, every morning, my sugar bowl was empty. When I had enough, I'd point to Diane's home and I'd yell, go see Diane. Within five minutes, I'd get a call from her and she'd say, thanks a lot, because he'd gone and pulled shenanigans over at her place. Now, this occurred for the entire two years we lived there. No one believed us, not even our husbands. My mother thought someone was stealing from us when we were sleeping or out of the house. My sister believed something was going on, but didn't know what. I still can't explain any of it. So, Billy, if you're listening, go see Diane. Okay, up next is another one involving the court. Another one? Oh yeah, they did have one involving the court. I was like, Billy's not part of the court. Yes, up next is another one involving the court, and it's slightly bizarre. But it's definitely a first. It's known as the case of Stambovsky versus Ackley. Now, this one happened in 1989 when a man named Jeffrey Stambovsky bought a house in Nyack, Nyack, New York. I think it's Nyack, New York, which had previously been occupied by Helen Ackley and her family. So, Stambovsky, he moves in, depending where you get your info. Either absolutely nothing happens or all this haunted house shit started happening. The usual cold spots, noises, bumps in the night. But that's not bizarre, so let's keep moving in this story somehow. He soon learned that the house was known to be haunted because Helen told anyone that would listen, and I mean anyone, if you walked near enough to Helen, she'd be like, hey, let me tell you all about my haunted house. She even sold her story to Reader's Digest and a bunch of other outlets too, but neither Helen or the realtor disclosed this. So, Stambovsky's wife said she didn't want to live in a haunted house, so he filed a lawsuit against Ackley and her realtor for fraudulent misrepresentation and demanded to be let out of his contract. Now, he initially lost his suit in the lower courts, but appealed and won. That's right, Stambovsky's case would be heard in front of the Appellate Division... Appellate? I don't know. It would be heard in front of a division of the New York Supreme Court in 1991. Now, the Supreme Court actually ruled in Stambovsky's favor, and he got his money back, and this became the first time a buyer was refunded because of a haunted house. The ruling was based on the fact that Ackley had publicly advertised her home as being haunted and made money from selling that story. So, she was obligated to disclose this fact to potential buyers, in the words of one of the judges, as a matter of law, the house is haunted. Okay, I gotta admit, this next one, this next one is a fun one. Now, it all started in 1895 when Miramont Castle was built in Manitou Springs, Colorado by Reverend Jean Baptiste Francolin. Now, he designed the castle himself and was said to have had paranormal activity almost immediately once construction started but things really kicked off in the castle after it was used as the Sisters of Mercy, no relation to the band, sanitarium. So they've got this Sisters of Mercy sanitariums going on in the castle. Bad things happen in sanitariums. So weird shit starts really happening. Now the castle has a long list of ghosts that have been seen within its walls, including a little ghost girl that will play with paranormal investigators. So that seems cool. If you like little kid ghosts and you want to play with one, 
It said she even told a family on tour once to get out, which they immediately did. But still, so far, it's not bizarre. It's not bizarre, Kurt. I know what you're saying. You're saying, hey, I was promised bizarre ghost encounters. Well, the next ghost wasn't really seen, but a board member staying at the castle came into his room to find handprints on the bedsheet. So he smoothed them out, leaves the room. When he comes back in the room, yep, more handprints. And now it looks like someone's been sitting on the bed too. Then the lights came on in the bathroom. Yes, yes, I know, bunch of basic ghost stuff. Not bizarre enough, so let's keep trying here. They get a paranormal team. They do an investigation in the chapel where they had a bunch of EVPs, including whenever the team would clap to try and get a response, a ghost would clap along with them. Getting weirder, but still not theirs. Let's keep trying. Let's talk about what makes this one a fun one for me. Emma Crawford. Now, she came to town in 1889 for the Healing Mineral Springs because she had tuberculosis. That's not the fun part. Well, the springs didn't work. Shocker. And she was getting sicker, so she tells her fiancé her dying wish was to be buried on the top of Red Mountain, overlooking the castle and the entire town. Sadly, she died on December 4th, 1891, and true to his word, he and a group of men carry her in her coffin 7,200 feet up the peak, and they bury her. That was 1891. Let's fast forward to 1929. That's when Manitou Springs was having a torrential rainstorm for days. And now townspeople see what they think is an avalanche from the peak. They're like, oh crap, here comes a bunch of crap coming down the mountain. They weren't exactly wrong. Remember, the peak is right above the town. So they're looking up there, seeing an avalanche. Turns out it's a coffin. A coffin comes racing down the mountain and right into the town square in front of the castle. Now immediately, they start having a lot of paranormal activity all over town until the rain stops and they were able to bury, if you didn't guess it, Emma Crawford in her coffin in the cemetery this time. Now, every year since 1995, residents there have participated in the Emma Crawford Coffin Races and Festival every October, where teams of five race coffins down Manitou Avenue. Look, say what you will, but you gotta admit, Emma's ghost knows how to make an entrance. I have never heard of another story where a freaking coffin comes sliding down a mountain, bam, right into the middle of town. I'm back, bitches. You know, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. That's bizarre, that's weird, and I like it. Up next is another one I can't prove at all, so again, grain of salt time. And I gotta admit, it's only mildly bizarre. This one goes back to 1759 when William Kent and his wife Fanny move into a house on Cock Lane. Pause here for giggling. Okay, so they move on to Cock Lane, that's what she said, and six months later they move out over some dispute about a loan with the landlord Richard Parsons. They said that Richard Parsons owed William and refused to pay him back. So, what's going on, Stitch? All right, do what you gotta do. So, again, the landlord Richard owes the renter William some money. He refuses to pay. So the story goes that Fanny dies of smallpox shortly after they move out, but because they took off on Richard, because William's like, you're not gonna pay me back? I'm skipping out on you. I'm done with this. I don't need you. So they just leave. Boom, Fanny dies of smallpox. So Richard makes up a story about William killing Fanny. And a local paper actually ran the story. Now in the story, Richard said Fanny's ghost came to him on Cock Lane. Stop it. 
and told him she was murdered. William was invited by Robert to the former house for a seance. They said, hey, we're going to meet up. We want to talk with Fanny's ghost. Do you want to come down? And for some reason, William actually showed up. Why? No idea. I wouldn't, but anyhow, here you go. So during the seance, Richard summoned Fanny's ghost, who would answer questions by like knocking, like, like that kind of crap. So he would ask her questions. She wouldn't answer by knocking. And these knocks confirmed that William killed her with arsenic. Don't worry, he didn't. Just wait. So, Richard's doing the seance. Fanny's ghost is knocking. The ghost became known as the Cock Lane Ghost, and it became a huge story. You gotta remember, this was 1759. People were just staring at fire for entertainment. So, they come down, they see or they hear Fanny's ghost, they never see her, so... People flock to hear Fanny knock on Cock Lane. But guess what? Richard's young daughter was caught knocking on a board during the seance and admitted it was all fake. Good old William sued the hell out of all of them and they paid him restitution. I guess this is a bizarre story of a fake ghost because a guy owed another guy some money and instead of paying it back, got pissed and tried to get him arrested for his wife's natural death, then made a ton of money off it, only to be found out as frauds because his daughter was bad at knocking on wood. Can't prove any of it. Grain of salt. Mildly bizarre. So let's move on. Alrighty, for this next one, we're going to move on to Pauly's Island. That's P-A-W-L-E-Y. Polly's Island in South Carolina, where the gray man has been seen since 1822 wandering the coastline. Now, the story goes that if you see the gray man, get the hell out of there because he only shows up right before major hurricanes. But the good news is if you do see the gray man, you will be spared from the hurricane's destruction. So maybe not get the hell out of there. Maybe just go put a lawn chair out on the beach and just sit there and watch it because the gray man's going to spare you from the destruction. So front row hurricane seat, I guess. I don't know. So people claim that the gray man warns them to get the hell out of there. And when they listen to him, a huge hurricane hit that town just afterwards. For example, September 1989, an elderly couple named Jim and Clara Moore said they passed by the gray man during a walk outside their beach home. Now, not long afterwards, Hurricane Hugo hit the area and destroyed the entire area, except for the Moore's house, which was spared. Okay, so that's about it for the gray man. Like I said, if you see him, it's gonna suck, but not for you. All right, this next one's dumb. Now, I'm telling you now it's dumb. I've said it. If you want to skip 30 seconds, you can, or you can just listen to it because it's dumb. It's about David Carradine, who you might know from Kill Bill or the old Kung Fu show or the fact that he killed himself jerking it. Well, before that happened, he married a woman named Annie and he said her deceased husband, Dana, would use their closet to communicate with them after he died, after the husband Dana died. So Kung Fu marries Annie. She used to have a husband. He died. His name was Dana. Dana would communicate them through the closet. David Carradine said, I think he was hanging out in the closet. And sometimes when I walked into that closet, it would be cold in there. 
unreasonably cold. He also went on to tell a tale about one of Dana's ties. David Carradine said it was turned around and had a little logo attached to it that said, Grateful Dead. And I thought, what does he mean by that? It was obviously a joke that the dead were grateful. It's the only way he can communicate that he now felt like everything was settled. The kids were taken care of and I was going to be there for them. David Carradine said, and I will be. Kurt here. So a ghost messed with David Carradine in a closet with a tie. Then later on, David Carradine died by hanging himself with a tie while masturbating. I'm just going to say, maybe it wasn't Dana, but maybe it was David Carradine's own ghost trying to go back in time to try and talk him out of autoerotic asphyxiation. Just, just saying. Just saying. That's a bizarre one. And also, David Carradine doesn't know the Grateful Dead? Come on, man. Let's go. Alrighty. This next one is bizarre. Yep. Is it a ghost encounter? Mm, maybe. Is it real? Maybe not. I will say when I started on this one, when I started on this next story, I started it 100% believing it. But the more I dug into it, the less I'm even sure it happened. I just don't know. Alrighty, let's just get into it. Story first. This one takes place in 1947 when two American ships, the City of Baltimore and the Silver Star, we're navigating through the strait between Malaysia and Singapore, and it's called the Straits of Malacca. This is when they received a distress call, a seriously bizarre distress call, I might add. Now, the distress call was in Morris code that said, SOS from Orang Medan. That's O-U-R-A-N-G, Orang Medan, M-E-D-A-N. So it says, SOS from Orang Medan. We float. All officers, including the captain, dead in chart room and on the bridge. Probably whole crew, whole of crew, dead. Then there was a bunch of confused dots and dashes of Morse code that they couldn't figure out. Then the final bit said, I die. Then silence. So, the ships start searching for the ship, and one of them, the, um, the Silver Star comes across the Dutch merchant ship, the Orang Medan, just like it said. So the crew board the ship, and what they found is bizarre. They found corpses, a bunch of them, all lying on their backs, their hands out in front of them, with their eyes and mouths gaped open. They said it was as if they died of fright. Now, they couldn't find any signs of injuries on the bodies. They even found... Wait... Hold on a second while I cover Stitch's ears. They even found a dog's corpse with its eyes and mouth open, too. Okay, but what they couldn't find was even weirder. They couldn't find anyone alive. No one in the radio room who could have sent that distress message and no reason for the dead bodies. So who the hell sent this distress message that they just got? It wasn't on a loop. It was a live message. It was Morse code. Someone was doing the dots and dashes, the deet, 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 all of that crap. But nobody was alive, and they found the ship pretty damn quick, apparently. So anyhow, so fearing a contagion, the crew gets the hell off the ship. Now, they have it rigged to tow back to a nearby port. All right, so they're all 
you know, they're all back on board of their ship, the Silver Star. And that's when a fire breaks out mysteriously on the Orang Medan. Now, they said they broke out in the cargo hold, and as they were watching it, the Orang Medan exploded and sank. Okay, so that's the entire story. Now, some people think the story's true and that the ship might have been smuggling chemicals such as a combination of potassium cyanide and nitroglycerin or even wartime stocks of nerve gas. They think the seawater got in and mixed with the chemicals, boom, killing everyone on board in a fog of nerve gas. Then the same seawater could be the reason for the fire and explosion as well. Now, good theory, but it still doesn't explain who made the SOS call. Now, others think that this whole story is made up because they can't find any logs to corroborate the story. Now, even others say the reason you can't find any logs to corroborate the story is proof that the story was real because that ship must have been smuggling or transporting either something for the war, like these nerve agents, or chemicals or were a drug smuggling ship of some kind, and that it was went classified. That people didn't want them to know where the ship went down because it had this stuff in its cargo hold. Now, that being said, there are no registrations that can be found for the Orang Medan in any country. One British researcher said he found the story of the Orang Medan transposed to the Solomon Islands, but also with a trace connection in two British newspapers in 1940 the Yorkshire Evening Post on November 21st, 1940, and the Daily Mirror on November 22nd, 1940. But I can't find these newspaper articles. I'm They might exist. I'm not infallible, but I'm just saying, my research, I couldn't find these newspaper articles. If I could have found those, then I would have said, oh, sure, this is just a retelling of some story, or maybe I could found some proof that they actually exist. But I can't find anything to say that this one's real, or that this one's 100% fake. So, you're going to have to make up your mind on that one. It's a bizarre ghost encounter. Somebody, some ghost of some kind, sent out a distress call. No one was alive. The way they were found, if they were really found that way, was pretty freaking bizarre and scary too. So, I just don't know what to make of that one. Okay, and finally, this next one has almost no autoerotic asphyxiation in it. It's a bizarre ghost story that happened on a commercial plane, or planes to be more specific. Now this one takes place on December 29th, 1972, where Eastern Airlines Flight 401 took off from New York to Miami. It left JFK at 9.20 p.m. with 176 people on board. It was landing at 11.42 in Miami when the plane crashed, killing 101 people on board making it the most deaths in a single crash to that date. The captain, Bob Loft, remember that name, Bob Loft, died in the cockpit just after the crash. The second officer, Don Repo, remember that name. So you got Bob Loft, you got Don Repo. Second officer, Don Repo, survives the crash, but died shortly after in the hospital. Ready for the bizarre? For the next year and a half, Flight crews saw Bob and Don on various flights. A few months after the crash, the captain on an Eastern Airlines flight from Newark, New Jersey to Miami was asked to check on a passenger in first class. One of those passengers, the one he wanted to check on, the one he was asked to check on, was another Eastern pilot 
flying home off the clock. Now, this passenger wasn't on the manifest. He was sitting there in his uniform, and this pilot that was asked to go check on him by the flight attendant recognized him immediately as Bob Loft. Now, another flight attendant walked up, and the three of them, the captain, the original flight attendant, and the new one, as well as passengers around them, were all in shock as they watched Bob disappear right in front of them. Now, Kurt here, I would be popping those little tiny booze bottles like Pez candy if I was one of them. If I saw some guy just fucking disappear in front of me, oops, I didn't mean to swear. If I saw this guy flipping disappear in front of me on a flight, I would lose my mind. I'm nervous enough as a flyer anyway. I don't need the passenger sitting next to me in first class disappearing. And that also sucks for the rest of the passengers in the back that can't get first class because some ghost has taken up one of the first class seats, doesn't even stay throughout the entire flight. Another statement about this very incident says a female passenger was sitting right next to him and witnessed everything, including him disappearing. She was later shown a picture of Bob and some other crewmen and she immediately picked Bob out in the photo. There was no hesitation, immediately went, yep, that's the guy that was sitting next to me, that poof disappeared when everybody else came up to him. Alrighty, now remember, over the next year and a half, both Bob and Don Repo were seen on flights, including these. A captain and two flight attendants spoke to Bob in an airport before a flight. Now they were so shaken when he disappeared right in front of them that they canceled the flight they were about to make. Yep, can't blame them there. I would do the same. All righty, let's get on over to Don Repo for a second. Don actually assisted a pre-flight engineer before a flight and then disappeared. He was seen on another flight fixing the galley oven by two separate flight crews. Don was seen in a compartment below the cockpit by a flight engineer who had heard knocking coming from down there. Now, it doesn't seem like they meant... You know, Don was down there knocking on the compartment door or anything like that. They just mean that they heard someone banging around down there. They open up the compartment door. Boom, they see Don down there. Now, another flight says that Don completed a pre-flight check and told the first engineer who was midway through it, quote, you don't need to worry about the pre-flight. I've already done it. An entire Eastern cockpit crew saw Don sitting among them on another flight. They claimed Don was actually warning them about a faulty electrical circuit, which, when they looked for it, it was found, and Don was right. And they managed to repair it, thankfully. Now, even an Eastern Airline vice president saw Bob on a plane preparing to take off from JFK. He recognized him immediately as Bob and went, uh, that dude's dead. That's just me paraphrasing. I don't know what he actually said, but they did say he freaked out and told a lot of people about it. Now, Don was also seen in a reflection of a galley oven door on another flight. When the flight attendant saw his reflection, she screamed, which caused another flight crew member to come running, who actually knew Don and recognized him immediately in the reflection of the galley oven door. Then, here's the really bizarre one. That's right, they get even more bizarre. An attendant on another New York to Miami flight opened an overhead bin to see Bob's face staring back at her. Yeah, talk about freaking people out. Come on, Bob. Look, 
I expect to see luggage up there. I expect to see hats. I don't expect to see Bob's freaking face when I open it up mid-flight. That's terrifying. Do not want. Now, here's the thing, though. All of the flights that either Don or Bob were seen on after their deaths were fitted with parts salvaged from flight 401. That's right, salvaged from the wreckage of it after the crash. All of the flights. According to investigative reporter John G. Fuller's 1976 book, The Ghost of Flight 401, Eastern employees who reported sightings to supervisors were typically referred to the company shrink. Eventually, the tales became so persistent and so prevalent that Eastern management allegedly warned its employees that they would be fired if caught disseminating the ghost stories. The sightings were all reported to the Flight Safety Foundation, an independent authority apparently, which commented, The reports were given by experienced and trustworthy pilots and crews. We consider them significant. The appearance of the dead flight engineer, Repo, Don Repo, was confirmed by that flight engineer. Later, records of the Federal Aviation Agency recorded the fire which broke out on the same aircraft. Meanwhile, logbooks from nearly all the flights on which the sightings were reported began to disappear. That's right, a cover-up seems to have happened, allegedly happened. Well, I don't know, if, do I need to say allegedly? Is Eastern Airlines still a thing? Let's see, hold on a second. No, yeah, they're still a thing. Okay, so yeah, allegedly, I don't think they did, but other people said that they did. So, the uh, the logbooks, the records from the FAA started to disappear. Now, they say that this is significant, not me, I'm not saying this. They say this is significant because Eastern flight crews were trained to note any and all onboard incidents in the flight log, no matter how small or questionable. Regardless of Eastern Airlines' official position on the ghost stories, all parts salvaged from Flight 401 were eventually removed from other aircraft. And then guess what happened? If you said that Bob stopped freaking people out in overhead bins, you'd be right. So that's a freaky one. I do not like it. I think I prefer to see something out on the wing rather than Bob's head pop out of me from an overhead bin. Don't want it. You know, seeing a reflection in the uh, oven door, sure, fine, whatever, I'm fine with that. Head popping out from the bin, nope, do not want. The guy that's sitting next to me, probably with his arms on one of my armrests because he's in the middle seat in first class, he disappears next to me, definitely do not want. Like I say, I'm a nervous enough flyer as is, I don't need ghosts on my plane. Alrighty. Well, what'd you guys think? Did you guys like this one? Bizarre ghost encounters? I got more. Some strange ones though, right? Some really, really freaking weird ones. Different ones. Different ghost encounters. I kind of dug it. I gotta say, these are the kind of stories that I like. I don't like the... I mean, I do like the basics. Look, if you come up to me and tell me you've got a ghost story and it's just that you heard knocking and footsteps and... I don't know. Saw an old-timey cowboy coming downstairs... I'm all about those. Don't get me wrong. I want to hear those stories from you guys. Send them on in. ParanormalAlmanac at gmail.com. Send them over to the Facebook page. There is a listener ghost story, paranormal story, Bigfoot story coming up very shortly. Sean and I are working out on the, uh, working the details out on when he can come over and record. I've got a lot of cool stories coming up. But what I really like 
are these bizarre ghost stories that you don't really ever hear about. They're so few and far between. That's why I like collecting these, especially that Flight 401. There's so many people who saw Don and Bob. So many people who knew, hey, that dude's dead. Why is he on the plane? So many people who were like, all right, I guess I'm going to go do this pre-flight thing. Oh, that ghost took care of it? All right, cool, whatever. That's good. That's some bizarre shit, and I love it. All righty. What do you guys think? What would you do if you saw a passenger next to you on the plane disappear? I don't mean go to the bathroom and not come out for a while. I mean, poof, gone, disappear, sitting next to you, boom, he's gone. Would you freak out? Would you drink more? Would you try and pretend it didn't happen? How are you going to get someone to believe you? How You know, pushing that little thing and getting a flight attendant to come over and say, hey, the guy that was sitting next to me, he just disappeared. He was a ghost. Good luck with that. All righty. I think it's enough questions for this episode. Once again, I am your host, Kurt Sandvig, but there is one last bit about Flight 401. That's right. I'm going to leave you with something. Bob Welch of Fleetwood Mac fame recorded a song called The Ghost of Flight 401 for his 1979 album, solo album, Three Hearts. So let's leave the... Let's, uh... So let's end this episode the way I always do, but we're going to listen to Bob Welch's The Ghost of Flight 401. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Ah, now I'm here.